welcome to The Digital Patient, where we discuss the latest advancements in digital patient engagement and share stories from the front lines. I'm your host, Alan Sardana, and with me as always is Seamless MD CEO, Dr. Joshua Liu. Today, we're joined by our very special guest, Dr. Ashish Barad. Dr. Barad is the Chief Digital and Information Officer at Allegheny Health Network, where he leads the deployment of technology to enhance the reach, access, and effectiveness of AHN's clinical care delivery with a focus on both the patient and clinician experience relative to electronic health records, artificial intelligence-powered data analytics, wearable devices, and other virtual tools and platforms. Prior to joining AHN in the spring of 2022, Dr. Broad worked as the clinical lead for Baylor Scott & White's digital health office and as a pediatric gastroenterologist. Dr. Broad, Ashish, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Alan. And yeah, please do call me Ashish. Really happy to be here. Been looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, we're so glad that you could take the time to spend with us. You've led such an inspiring career spanning the clinical world, informatics, digital health, and health equities. And from what I can tell, you've been optimistic about the role that the right technology can play to improve healthcare, perhaps even longer than your professional career would show. I'd love to start at the beginning. I believe I've heard a story that your interest in medicine started after typhoid fever that you got when you were eight years old in rural India. Is that correct? Yeah, Alan, thanks. The story is true. Yeah, it was. I was eight. I grew up in the U.S., by the way. I was born in Chicago, and we grew up in the States. We grew up, I grew up in Houston. And, but we went back, you know, as many immigrant families do to go see family. So I was eight years old, went back to India and yeah, got typhoid fever and that's salmonella typhi as Josh well knows. And, uh, you know, it, 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 I think I was, I think I lost like 25 pounds, which was like all of me at eight. I was a very skinny little kid. So I got, you know, I was, I was on death's door for sure. And what was crazy, you know, a couple of things that were crazy about it, a couple of stories around it, which was I was misdiagnosed, right? And and because I was basically in a village in India where, you know, some of my family and my, they grew up in a really in a village state. So misdiagnosed with malaria, wrong treatment, and uh, wasn't getting any better. And then the second part was really stuck was my mom and my sister had come with me. We grew up pretty low income. And so they didn't allow my mom to change flights without a very hefty cost that she couldn't afford. And so they had to leave. And I, and so right there in the middle of my typhoid fever that was misdiagnosed, my, my family took off. I was an eight-year-old, and I was left with my cousins that I'd never met before and, uh, you know, in a village in India. And it was a really scary experience. I, I recall it really well. But you know, what's, what saved my life was luckily I had a cousin back in the States who was marrying a guy who was a, happened to be a doctor in India, you know, and so Manish, uh, who is a, a family practice doc out in, out in Iowa now, came in to, to, to take care of me, properly diagnosed me, uh, got me on the right antibiotics and treatment and saved my life. And then a month later, I went home, came back to, came back to Texas, came back to the States. So you know, and so it just, it really sparked the interest of not just, you know, a doctor taking care of me and really saving my life, but also the fact of, you know, I, I, I don't think I would have made it without Manish. I, I really think that if I had not had proper access to healthcare from many different levels, not, you know, it's accessing the right physician, accessing the right treatment, the right care, I don't think I'd be here. So I'm trying to pay it back. Uh, that's amazing. And so you went into pediatric gastroenterology. At what point did 
digital enter your mind share? Was it all the way back then you knew, you know, a rural access and digital could maybe improve workflows or how did you get into digital health? No, I appreciate the question. Not as early as I wanted to, you know, if I look back and I could change one thing, although I wouldn't change anything because I mean, I'm where I'm at and I'm happy with it, but I really just went one foot in front of the other to become a doctor. You know, I, I it, uh, you know, nowadays, right, you can be like a doctor and a digital doc and you can have some pathways. But back then, right, I'm, I'm, I'm older than I, and you might think I am. It, I still, I grew up with paper charts, by the way. So, uh, you know, it was just really a matter of you go be a doctor, you go be a doctor. So I did, right, I did medical school and then pediatric residency in Texas. I went to Chicago for my pediatric GI training. So what happened at Chicago at Northwestern was probably what got me into this world of just technology, right? So up until that point, all paper charts, you know, going in, hey, my attending saying, hey, she should go grab 423, right? And you go grab this big old binder, 423, and you bring it to the table and everybody looks at that and, and you know, talks about things. So uh, Northwestern said, hey, we're, we're doing this thing that not a lot of people have done, maybe Geisinger at the time, but we're going all in with something called an EMR and we're using this company that nobody knows called Epic. So they're like, you know, we don't know how to go live. No, they don't know how to do go lives. So uh, we're just going to have fellows do it. Y'all seem like you're young and smart. You, you know, why don't you, why don't you guys go do this go live? And so, yeah, I got tasked to, to, you know, do the go live of Epic at Northwestern way back when. And that probably got me in the world of just technology. I am in no way, will never claim to be an informaticist. And that's not an offense, that meant to be offensive to informaticists. That is not my path. I don't, I, I, that wasn't anything that I wanted to really, I, I didn't, it didn't spark my passion. I want to improve workflows. Gosh, I absolutely want to improve workflows. And I, as a dog, as a practicing dog, I want that to be better. But that didn't, at that moment, it wasn't, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to live inside the world of EMR and Epic. And make workflows better. Like it just it didn't spark anything at that moment. But I got really good at just technology, if you will, inside healthcare. That sparked my interest of, all right, this is a new thing, right? We're we're gonna start using technology in healthcare. So then I left Northwestern as a fellow, and I took a first job at Sutter Health in California as an attending as a pediatric gastroenterologist, full time pediatric GI. And no kidding, that like soon as I get there, they're like, hey, we see that you did an Epic Go Live. We're doing that. Sutter's going live with Epic. And so, all right, I'll, I'll help you with that go. So I did another go live. 20 months in, we had our, we were having our first kid. We missed home. It was fine time to go back to Texas. Got a job at Baylor Scott and White. As you mentioned, this is an 11 and 2011. And yeah, like, no, no kidding, man. Within a year, they're like, we're doing this thing called Epic Go Live. So I did three Epic Go Lives like really early in my career. So it got me at least in the world of technology and informatics, if you will. And I helped Baylor Scott and White do that as well. But went back to practice, right? Like, I mean, just did that off the side of my desk. And then I became section chief of pediatric GI a couple of years after I started there. So my path was, you know, being a physician first, being leader of physicians. I love that. Uh, we had a children's hospital and everything else. So what, what really, I guess, got me into the role of digital health, to answer your question specifically, is... You know, and again, not not anything that anybody's not doing now with video visits, right? Not sexy, not innovative at all. But in 2013, to be fair, if you go back a decade, it was something that not a lot of people were doing. It was some ones, here's, you know, onesies and twosies of Skype, maybe with a call with a patient. Uh, if you remember Skype software, maybe I'm dating myself, but, you know, the, um, but what happened was, uh, you got to think about taxes, right? Large state, a lot of rural America, second largest state in, in the country, right? 
not very liberal with their money to Medicaid populations and, you know, right? So Medicaid expansion hasn't happened still in Texas, right? So a lot of people that are a lot of equity issues, you know, and so as a pediatric gastroenterologist, you can imagine there's not many of me. So, you know, people have a hard time for accessing care to specialty care and especially pediatrics. And when they do, I mean, people, I have, I have people, no question driving eight hours to come see me for 15 minute visits. I mean, it's just silly, stupid, you know, and, and really it was a check-in, right? Because the, the, the rule stated to, to give you a refill on anything, you had to physically see me. And it just, for me at that, I think it was that moment for me to say, this doesn't make any sense. And so I did the first video visit for the system of all Baylor Scott and Wine. I built it inside Epic with Adobe Connect. I think that was the first time that got done. And so it was, you know, it was it, it just, but I went right back to practice outlet. Like it, it wasn't doing, I think it all comes back to like, when you, when we talk about what we're doing now, I didn't do it because it was shiny. It was cool. It was whatever. Right. It, it solved a problem for my patient. My patient was driving eight hours to come see me for a 15 minute visit. Why the hell, why can't I meet them where they are? It gets overused now, but man, that was exactly what it was. It was like, how can I come to you? How can I be there with you? And and honestly, right, the patients loved it. And no reimbursement at the time. Living in a fee-for-service world in RVUs, so I didn't care. Uh, it was the right thing to do. And so that got me in the world of virtual. And then, you know, I'll really give credit to Baylor Scott and White and their leadership at the time in about 15, 2015. The CEO at the time decided, you know what, we need a chief digital officer. We need somebody leading digital health. And this is before most places, right, had anything to do with digital health at 15. And so that's Nick Reddy, great friend of mine. He's still the chief digital officer of Baylor Scott and Y. And so Nick and I got to know each other really well with the Epic Go Live and remain friends. And so, you know, I created a created the first MyChart app. I think, yeah, I think it was the first MyChart app that wasn't MyChart. It was a wrapper around MyChart to get to consumer grade, right? And that was at Baylor Scott and Y. So guys started becoming, in a sense, like an in internal consultant, if you will, to them. I didn't want to leave practice at that time in any capacity. I enjoyed building my team of doctors and providing care. And then, you know, really COVID is really what changed all of it. And when COVID happened, there was kind of a realization of, man, digital health is blowing up, right? Even pre-COVID and that obviously we saw what 2020 did with digital health. And there's a lot of shiny objects out there, but hey, we're not, nothing's scaling. Nothing's actually getting adopted. You know, engagement's really low. But we're spending a lot of money meeting with all these companies and bringing them in, but we're just really not seeing it go anywhere. So they had the insight to say, we need a clinical leader here to really vet all this. And so again, credit to, to Bailey Scott and Wyatt, credit to Nick, credit to my CMO at the time, Alex, he's still the CMO, Alex, well, uh, Alex Rolica, he's chief, chief innovation officer now, actually. And, you know, just re making that recognition and tapped me to, to do that. And so that got me in the role of digital health. And, you know, I was, I called it a second fellowship. Absolutely. Because I learned acronyms that I'd never heard before, including CRM, SEO, even a KPI. What the heck is a KPI as a doctor? You don't know KPIs, you know? So basic stuff, right? So I, I just, I took on a beginner's mindset and I was like, man, I just want to consume. I love this. I think that, you know, I, 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 Credit Shantani Nandi talks about democratizing healthcare with technology, and I, I completely resonate with me. And that's what I believe in. And I was like, if we do it right, we can do that. And I want to be a part of that, right? And I want to be able to not just lead it, but also be able to kind of guide non-clinical people, non-healthcare people to make sure we're solving the right problems. 
Ashish, I want to uh, unpack something that you got into. So you mentioned how you know it was so important that you got into more of a, a clinical leadership role with digital health at, at Baylor Scott and White. And, and one of the things that you've mentioned, I think today, but also to me in the past, is that a lot of these digital health implementations fail because clinicians just weren't properly involved in the process, which sounds like an obvious thing. I think if you talk to clinicians, but we see it happen all the time. It still happens today with health systems. What do you think the right level of clinician engagement is in rolling these digital health solutions out? And what are the pitfalls that systems can maybe avoid? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, Josh. And you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, that's exactly what we see, or you see that all the time with your company, right? You know, and, and trying to get out there. And I, I think you do such a great job of making sure that that's at the forefront at, with the implementation is to make sure that you have buy-in from the clinician for the healthcare system that you work with. Sure. So to your point, it's a tough arena, right? Because on, on one side of it, I have empathy. For these innovative healthcare, you know, companies trying to come into healthcare, we're tough. Doctors are hard, right? Like there's a lot, there's a big segment of us that don't want to change a thing and we're comfortable. We really like where we are, meaning maybe we not even like it, but we don't want to change it, right? Like, I mean, nobody likes it. Don't get me wrong. Like nobody's like, oh yeah, this is great. This is really working for everybody. If anybody thinks that, uh, sorry, like don't peg doctors like that, okay? Like doctors don't, aren't like that. I go to the front lines, they're tired. It's, ah, man, it, there's a storm coming, you know, of physicians leaving. And so nobody likes it. But, you know, we haven't proven to them that we're actually helping them with their work, right? I mean, EMR was the biggest kind of like pulling the rug out of their, uh, you know, off their, you know, under them in the, in the world, right? I'm not like anti-EMR, but because I think it had its benefits. But, you know, if you... As it got rolled in, even though I was part of those go lives, I mean, I know this might be controversial, but come on, most physicians saw it as a billing and coding kind of platform. We didn't see it as a, this is going to really improve gear. Yeah, that might be a, a byproduct, but nobody really saw it as such. I was going back to cell phones, right? The biggest block of, of professionals that, that adopted cell phones beyond 90%, physicians. It's not, we're not against technology, but guess what it solved? You were, you were stopped. I remember these days you stopped and got a page and you literally had to find a, tel like a phone booth to answer the page from the hospital. Like, I mean, right. Talk about, and you're at the baseball game with your kid and you're like, oh my God, I got to go find a phone. Cell phones solved a real problem. And then physicians were like all over cell phones, right? They're the first professional block to take on cell phones. We're not against technology. We're against the technology that doesn't make our lives better. Right. And so, and then when EMRs came in, it was like, this is going to make your lives all better. This is going to solve the you know, data interoperability. We're still talking about that, aren't we? So like, right, this was like way back when. And so it was kind of like, man, you know, they, they just see it. Many of them see it as a burden. And so they're a little, I get it. They're a little cautious of these promises that this, oh no, no, this time we mean it. This technology is really going to make your lives better. And we don't always prove it out to your point is that, you know, as we take on new tools, we're like, hey, it's just five more things you got to look at in this patient, right? It's going to be great insights. It's going to be wonderful insights. It's going to really improve the care of your patients. It's five more alerts, you know, but these insights are the real ones. They're, they're going to be great. Did you remove five things from my plate to add these five things in, right? So no, just, just do, it's just five more clicks, guy. Come on. You know, it's not a big deal. So anyway, to the, the, the answer is one, I just want everybody to have empathy for for where physicians are on their journey of technology adoption it's not like they don't want it but we don't want it 
everybody wants it. Everybody wants it, but I want, it wants to really solve a problem, not just for themselves, for their patients too, but it needs to solve in the, under the lens of them as well. Can't add just to solve for a patient. Okay. That's one. Secondly, it is so important that health systems, to your point of what can health systems do, they need to find that, that physician leader that, that, you know, is still optimistic yep. about what technology can do. And is but it's still a frontline dog enough to where there's trust that you know, and that that person can really speak to other physicians and be able to get a dog. And that's my job. A lot of parts of my job is going out there and saying, "I get it, I get it, I empathize." Let me and and really be able to speak the language, but at the same time saying, "But look, look at the other side of that's change management, right? Look at the other side of this, and let's look the gain, and then I'm going to work on taking a couple things away from you that are meaningful to you." So. I do think physicians near the table, and if you look around the country at chief digital officers, if you interview many of them, I'm sure, and I get it. I understand that they came from retail or they came from technology. They came from other places, and I'm not faulting these people. These are great people with great ideas that are way smarter than I am, but they, they, they're challenged, right? They're challenged because they don't have, they, they can't get into the physician offices and speak that language. So if that's the case, I'm not saying all chief digital officers should be doctors in any way. But if that's the case, then they, they need to have a dyad, a physician, clinician, if it's a nurse, it's a nurse, I don't need to be a doctor, but a clinician dyad, in my strong opinion, to be able to, to help those clinicians along. You brought so many great points. I think it reminds me that in almost any other, you know, business like B2B industry, the customer has to be desperate for the solution. Like it has to, they have to have a real serious problem that you solve otherwise it's it's a nice to have otherwise it's it's not a it's a vitamin not a painkiller and then it won't get adopted and like what i think what we remind our team here is that in healthcare it's even more complicated because if people you're trying to talk to are clinicians who are you know overburdened right now they're running around a hospital or a clinic they're in the or they are not sitting at their desk all day long where they can just get on a zoom and like learn about an innovative new solution right. so you you have to solve a real problem and somehow you have to have empathy for the fact that, yeah, you know what? Their inbox is full. They don't have time all day long to take sales meetings. That's just the reality of, of healthcare and we have to empathize with, with that situation. So I can't even imagine like in, in your shoes, in the hospital, you still have to somehow find these clinicians who may be running around and taking care of sick patients or in the OR and, and it's not easy for you too. So that, I think that empathy that. is so important. You're right. Yeah, I, I tell my team all the time, you know, there's a concept of empathy and action, yeah. right? And and we talk about that a lot. Uh, empathy is important, but what, if empathy without action doesn't mean a whole lot, yeah. you know what I mean? And so I, I think it's it's really important that it's empathy with, you know, in action. And that means two things, which is you're seen, you know, you need to be out there. You need, I tell all my teams have to be out there in the hospitals, in the clinics, be seen, be visible, and not just to be visible for visible sake, but then to gain further empathy, that vis that virtual cycle of empathy to be able to say, okay, you know, because what we're in healthcare, another problem in healthcare is we're just reactive, right? The industry is just always reactive in every way it's reactive. And it's the same stuff. So right now it's, it's reactive from a innovation or technology or even just standard IT. It's just you put a ticket in, you tell me what you want. Well, you know, same old school IT, right? Where it's just like, you put it in, what do you think, a doc or a clinician or a nurse or operator? And then we prioritize and we go, to, that's that's not how we can, we need to be able to uh, function. And because I also do as the CIO role of it, I'm, I'm in charge of IT and Epic too. 
is it's the same concept there is is really we need to kind of get into a proactive approach of if you do empathy in action, you're out there and you're talking to them and you see them and you know, we're gonna get into a proactive approach where you're gonna know, you know, proactively what the needs are of the business for customer success. I mean, I call I I, I tell my clinical informatics team that's their job. Their job your job is uh, is customer success. And uh, the first time we've heard that, by the mm-hmm. way, that's really, really interesting. Got yeah. It. Anyway, yeah. That's awesome. Amazing. Ashish, I was wondering, you know, this empathetic action and actually understanding what the problems are and being proactive about a solution. Early on in your career, while you were leading groups of physicians at the Baylor Scott and White, you were actually awarded for your exceptional productivity with the team and patient satisfaction scores. They were through the roof. I'm curious, you know, what were the keys to your success back then? And now how did that inform your leadership style over time? And then just a, a part two to that question, have you found any differences now that you're leading teams of designers and developers, engineers, digital folk? Is there any differences? Yeah, a great question, Al. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm very proud of the fact of how productive my, me and my team were when I ran the division. And why am I proud of that? Is it for productivity's sake? Is it the money it brought in? No, right? What, that, what does that mean? That meant that we were accessible. You know, the productivity meant that patients were able to get in. And I, I'm so proud of, you know, having a clinic of pediatric, if you have kids, anybody's listening, you're trying to go see a pediatric gastroenterologist right now, you know, wherever you are, it's, it's not easy. Okay. So typical wait times in some big cities still, you know, is like three, four months to, to go see a pediatric GI. There's, there's a reason why everybody starts pinging me and like, can you get me in? Right. You know? And we saw everybody within, you know, if you're an established patient, it was like within a day, we're going to find a spot, get you in, we're going to double book, we're going to triple book, we're going to make it happen because if you need us, and that was the culture. Uh, and I mean, but you got to balance the burnout aspect of that, you know, which we did. And I can go into that on another topic because it's, I know it's not a clinical, how to run a pro- clinical program talk. But, you know, the, but all that being said, and, and a new patient within two weeks was our standard, and we tried to get it, you know, even within that. So it was to create access, to, to help you when you're going through something, your kid has Crohn's disease and bleeding. You don't want to wait three months to be seen, right? I mean, obviously. So that, that was such an important part of it. But anyway, so I just want to say that's why I'm proud of the productivity, not for productivity's sake. But, you know, leading leading physicians and getting everybody, it, I think that it is the same kind of concept. So it, the answer to your question, the last part of your question was no different. And let me, let me expand upon that, which is like, is it different to lead other type of people, not physicians? There's that term of missionaries, not mercenaries, right? I think it's used in agile methodologies or what have you. But in healthcare, we're missionaries, not mercenaries. That whole... Gosh, I hope that you're in healthcare because you're a missionary, not mercenary. And especially on the provider side, right? One thing you mentioned in my bio was I'm an allocated health network. You didn't mention Highmark, which is okay. But we're owned by a payer, right? We're owned by Highmark. And so just to be fair and make sure everybody listeners know, Highmark is a huge payer, fourth largest Blue Cross Blue Shield in the country, 7 million-ish members that owns a provider system called Allegheny Health Network in the, in the Western Pennsylvania region. And the reason why that's so important, right, is that well, everything I'm doing here and the reason why I'm here for a lot of other reasons is then to also, one, innovate the payment structure and what we actually focus on uh, and getting out of fee-for-service. And the second reason is scaling, right? So we call ourselves at age and the pace setter for scaling at Highmark. And so it's not just, it, I'm, I'm not trying, I want to solve for Western Pennsylvania. I want to solve for Pittsburgh region, but I also want to, 
selfishly, I want to, not selfishly, but I just really do want to transform from healthcare as a whole. And I wanted this, you know, landmark as scale that, that, you know, that AHN doesn't necessarily have. So I think that's another important part. But the, the point of all that is, man, you know, every, I was just having this talk with uh, one of our COOs is that, I don't know, you know, I'm not telling you, like, Getting a mom with a new diagnosis of Crohn's disease or a, pay, or a kid that needs a liver transplant and having that discussion with them and, uh, like, you know, or a cancer kid that may not be here in the next year, going through that, one of all, like, I have grit. Like, it, it doesn't phase me with the politics of anything I got to do because if I got to have that conversation, I can have tough conversations on, on operations or politics or whatever stakeholder is. Okay, that's one. Two is, I mean, right, you're talking about getting stakeholders aligned and getting them on board. What is, like, clinical care? You've got somebody coming in that thinks they have X, but they really have Y. They don't want to have Y. They'd rather have X. And you're trying to get them to, like, come to come on board to even just that realization and acceptance. And then treatments that are, like, chemotherapy agents and their, you know, and the concerns and worries. And I don't want to do that. But, hey, the outcome is better than the 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 pain that you're going to go through. What is that? That's all change management. Now we do with, Hey, you got to give up this to get that. So, so many things that I, as a doctor did with my patients, uh, I, every time I have a tough situation now, what I do that, that knowledge and now what I did for so many years, 14 years of hundred percent clinical practice, I bring that to the table every day, Alan. And I, I use those tools and that techniques that I learned to get those really tough patients to accept things, you know, and so getting people to kind of come along. So that's from the most difficult stakeholders. And as far as the teams go, we just can, I don't think in healthcare, especially in technology, we really talk about the mission enough, you know, and really tell our story enough about how impactful this work really is on society and all our patients and members and et cetera, and as well as providers go. And so we just talk about that a lot. We, we connect dots a lot, you know, and, and making sure that the, uh, you know, sometimes these people in basements of just working on computers are at home now, a lot of them, you know, not connected. They don't get to see the impact of their work. And, and so we actively spend a lot of time in the leader in our leadership circle, making sure that we have, you know, glass box demos and whatever it may be, demo days, right? To, to really, you know, close that, that loop. So they understand. And that's the same stuff that we did with clinical care with our teams, right? Those nurses, those doctors, those whatever it was to be able to see, hey, the, I'm working my butt off. But I, and you get to see as a doctor, it's actually cleaner, right? Because as a nurse or a doctor, you get to see the outcomes usually, you know, and they're like, oh man, that, right? Because I mean, in my office right now, you know, I'm, all my stuff is just stuff that patients gave me as like, you know, like Dr. Barad, you know, Right. I'm very proud. That's what I'm most proud of. That's what's all, that's just sitting in my desk. And so you get to have that feedback loop, man, that drives me every single day. And when I left, you know, Texas, we have gone white, a lot of tears. Right. And I remember one, one patient in particular was a short gut patient that did almost like a short gut transplant. So very, very sick for a long time. Central lines everywhere, grew up with lines, grew up in the hospital, line infections. Right. And I got them off, you know, not I, but like we as a team and everybody over time, we got them off all that stuff and thriving, growing high school kid now about to start driving. And I saw him since he was like four years old. Right. And I mean, he cried, right. This kid and I cried and you know, his mom's like, you know, and they're 
Spanish speaking. And if you, if you're anybody if are, uh, grew up in a Spanish household, you understand the term mijo. But, you know, she's like, mijo, he's going to help more people in the job that he's going to do, you know, and, and because, you know, it was, a, it, so I say that all just because my clinical care really matters. I'm, I'm very, I bring that with me because that's why I'm here. I'm here because I want to make an impact at a, at a, at a, at a broader level. So. I, I love that. It, it, you know, I had this conversation with someone here at CMS the other day and, you know, we were talking about how like both us and like providers get sometimes get so frustrated with all the barriers and bureaucracy in healthcare. But then we talked a lot about the mission and, you know, remind us that, hey, you know what, like as frustrating as healthcare can be, it's such an impactful opportunity. Like the fact that no matter how bad it is, you get to go home and say, you know what, like we help these patients today. Mm-hmm. That's an incredible feeling. There's no other like, you know, industry where you can go home and say that. And it's so meaningful. So I love that. Well, I, I tell you that, Josh, I tell you that story, but I mean, like, but then I also call my nurses hostage negotiators because, uh, like, right? Uh, because, like, that's a great story. And then you're like, but then after that, they're like 10 moms yelling, screaming, cursing at them. It's hard. It's yeah. hard work, right? And you got to remember that one story, right? Of like, why I do this when you're going through the stuff times. So, same thing to your point. Well, is like, yeah, some days are really rough. Some days are really hard. And you got to remember that mission. Yeah. Great point. Love to talk a bit about consumerism. So, you know, Alan and I have talked to a lot of chief digital officers who, as you mentioned, come from maybe the consumer industry and not from healthcare. And, and a lot of them use the word consumer. But I think you're one of the few clinical and digital leaders who are kind of gravitating more towards the term consumer over patient lately. Can you unpack that perspective for us? Yeah, sure. I mean, this one's like for me, Josh, I don't even know. It's like a no brainer for me, I guess. I just, I think that, and I don't care what term anybody uses, if it's consumer or not, but it's not patient to me anymore. And, 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 but, but let me unpack that because I don't want anybody to get offended that they're not like, and patients, a doctor patient is a sacred relationship. And I hundred percent believe in that. But what I mean by that is that you, you understand the connotation of, of patient is sick. And, and to some degree, the connotation of patient is established and there's already an established relationship. There's already, you know, some level of trust built, loyalty, stickiness, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, a patient is someone that's already in the system and you're in a reactive approach to that person. They've come in for a complaint or an issue and you're reacting to that complaint or issue. And I think the consumerism for me is moving upstream. You know, at the end of the day, it's it's moving upstream and being with you well ahead of you, you know, ever being in our health system. And I love to get to a point where you never engage with our health system because, you know, but right, that's the whole point of wellness. And, you know, we keep you well. You don't need to engage with the healthcare system. And I help guide you and navigate you and orchestrate your health, I won't even say care, you know, in a fashion to, to keep you well, you know, and look as doctors with, that's always like our running joke, right? Like doctors are always trying to put themselves out of business. Why? Because you're actually trying, you know, right. You're solving, like you're, you're not trying to keep that patient sick. You're actually treating that patient to not be sick. So it's part of our DNA. Most docs, we talk to them and I won't say all, you know, but most docs, we talk to them, they love to keep people out of their offices and keep them well. I get livelihoods and payment and all that and making sure incentives are aligned. That does need to happen. But from the consumerism standpoint, I know we've gotten decently there when me and all my executive leaders around me that are physicians or non-physicians don't get a thousand calls a day 
about who should my mom or who should I see for XYZ thing that they need. Cardiologist, neurologist, who's the best at atrial fibrillation, Ashish? Who get me in? Can you make some phone calls? And I'm not like being disparaging to anybody that does that. I get it. I do, I, you know, I just email the head of psychiatry for, you know, for some therapy recommendations for a family member of who she's good at this, right? I do it. We all do it. And I use that term democratizing healthcare. That's not mm -hmm. democratization of healthcare, mm -hmm. right? That's VIP healthcare. We talk a lot about equity and we, we talk a big game there. The action part of that is that information and that privilege of being able to get access shouldn't be something that should be living for those that, that are high income and have, you know, those access points that, that really should be something that when we get to consumerism, true consumerism, you should be able to shop, right? You should be able to shop. And part of shopping is making choices and, and having information and data to make intelligent decisions, knowing who is really good at X, Y, Z and, and being able to, to gain access to, to see that person. Maybe touching base on what you said earlier about, you know, the fact that you're part of a provider with Highmark and Allegheny, you're in this unique position where you can actually transform payment models in, in a positive direction to more, you mentioned more value-based care. And, and yeah, I think one of the challenges that we've seen lately is that a lot of the digital tools being used, like even just like telemedicine, virtual visits, it's primarily, you know, fee for service. And then you may end up using it more than you need to sometimes or less than you should, depending on the situation. I'm curious, anything that we should be keeping an eye on in the market for maybe new value-based care models or approaches that you think will actually get more adoption of digital in a way that's actually useful? Any thoughts oh, on it's that? A great, it's a great question, Josh. And I, and I think it, I mean, obviously that's a probably separate podcast to talk about payment models and healthcare, probably like 10. But the short answer to that and the one, and, and honestly, the reason, one of the major reasons why I'm here is that Highmark decided to to their strategy is something called living health. It's okay, you know, we don't have to go into the whole thing and I'm not here to just, you know, talk about one thing, but very simply, I mean, it's, you know, there's a whole data aspect of that. There's care delivery aspect of that. There's a lot of other aspects of that I want to get into. But at the end of the day, living health as part of Highmark as a payer is saying, you know what? We want to, we're going to reduce total cost of care by improving outcomes. Josh, that's huge. Right, because I think I mean, I, you know, JPM, there, there was a like, panel yesterday and not there, but I, you know, it was like, hey, value-based care is not really going to be reality until we could actually have payers focus on outcomes, not just by denying care. It's not, you know, right? I mean, there's a lever that insurance the payers have had forever that worked, you know, to make money. And that was like, you know, right, I'm denying care. I have no MRI, no, you know, no surgery. And so, right, the, and it works. It works, and they could dial that up and dial that down, you know, as they need it, right, depending on what they need to hit. And I'm not, I'm completely oversimplifying, and I'm not trying to make payers evil, and I'm not like anti-payer. I'm just saying that that we know utilization management has been a big aspect, and I'm not saying it's ever going to, I don't know, I hope it goes away at one point, but, you know, it's still here with us. But to say, for a payer to really just say, you know what, we're going to go different. You know, the, the future of healthcare and, and that MO isn't going to be the future MO. We're not, it's not sustainable to stay that way. We really do need to improve the outcomes of our population. And we're going to focus on that as the main lever of total cost of care. That's why I'm here. And so that provider aspect, I don't, yeah, I, I, I know, I mean, 
I've talked to many, many leaders in this space. No one else is doing it like we're doing it. And I'm not trying to like blow smoke up our and they're like, oh my gosh, we're the best and amazing. No, we haven't done it yet. So like, you know, we gotta like, I mean, I don't know, is it gonna succeed or not? But man, I wanna be here to to be a part of it and see it succeed. And that's, that is, you know, a lot of providers and again, not, it's different ways to do it, but you know, a lot of the providers that you see, either one, it's a closed system, yep. right? And so, okay, that's great. Or it's a market that there's not a lot of competition. We got we got a big system in Pittsburgh that's not called Allegheny Health Network, right? That has a, a pretty decent market share, is well known around the world. We got competition, and we're open. Fifty percent of our claims are through our through Highmark. The other fifty percent are everybody else, and um, you know, or they're just buying a bunch of primary care practices, right? And trying to influence them that way. That's not that's not the same thing as as a truly. We call ourselves we're leading into what we call blended. Mm-hmm. And I mean blended, like truly blended, like one org, you know, it's a really neat experiment. I'm so glad I'm here and I'm learning. Like, you know, for me, just personally, right? I'm like, I didn't speak payer, not real payer, right? Just doctor payer, right? Oh, those payers up, those insurers up there, right? You know? And so just to, again, we talked about empathy, you know, they're not bad people up there, right? You know, that's, a, there's like this kind of, like the brown, here I'm in Pittsburgh, so I'll use the Steelers versus Browns, you know, example. And it's always been that kind of mentality of my tribe, my team, you know, and I shouldn't like that. So, you know, we're, we're really trying to build trust between the two entities. And that's another key word. I respect what you're doing so much with, you know, Highmark and Allegheny and the whole provider thing. And, and it makes me think about, you know, we're seeing a lot of these big tech like Amazon or, or pharmacy giants like CVS like start to come in and, and, you know, buy care delivery groups and get more involved there. But I think what we're also seeing is that a lot of them are focusing on the, I want to say almost like simpler aspects of care delivery, like, you know, outpatient care and, and you know, they're not having to deal with complex like inpatient situations and, and very high risk and complex patients sometimes whereas in your shoes you're dealing with all of that right like you don't you don't get the choice of just the high margin outpatient stuff you're dealing with like low margin complex situations with the goal yeah. of improving care for everyone so i really really admire that i'm right. curious like any any thoughts on how maybe digital leaders of health systems should be reacting to this new landscape where you know big tech or or pharmacy giants are coming into care delivery, you know, how, how, how should folks compete, react, any, any thoughts there? Yeah, sure. Appreciate the question. Thank you, Josh. As I looked at career paths, right, as I really found passion in this space and believe in it, and I 100% believe in it, right, obviously, just like you and others had opportunities or thoughts about where should I go, and man, it, I just, I couldn't not be in a space where, yeah, you have to solve for Medicaid as much as you have to solve for Medicare Advantage, as much as you need to solve for women's health, as much as you need to solve, like, you know, the the scale and the fact of being able to touch all lives was something that really spoke to me. And it would be, I think it would be really hard for me personally to be in a company that, and again, not, that's not to minimize those companies and what they're doing, by the way, but it'd be one company that says, hey, I'm going to take on Medicare Advantage for I don't know, you know, for this segment and this consumer and only this market, like, I, I, yeah, so I, I appreciate that. Now, if I ever do that, like 10 years from now, you can call me out and say, hey, you said you might, but you know, things change, right? <laughs> so who knows? So, uh, so all that being said, um, I guess the question of just how do we lean into it? I'm going to be more simplistic with this answer because it's loaded too, as all things are, is that, and, and people have said this, I just, but it resonates, is, is partnership is the future. Right. If we work with you, we work with any other company, it would be very, very clear. This is not going to be a point solution that we're going to pay for you, not a vendor. 
you're a partner. And if you're not a partner, we don't want to work together. You know, I'm not looking for purchasing a software and saying, cool, we got it, add it on, you know, to, to all everything else we're doing. If you look at, you know, we announced in our partnership with Google quite a couple of years ago, part of that and was announced at Health recently was League. Uh, and creating that digital front door aspect of it from a payer perspective called my high mark. And, and so, I mean, Lee, I'll just, you know, shout out to them and give an example is that's a partnership is they are they to this level of robustness to build out a platform, you know, a digital front door, not just a front door of an app, but a true platform play has not been done. There's talks and discussions and meetings with them and brainstorming and whiteboarding constantly, right? It's a true partnership. And there's other vendors that, you know, people can look up that are out there that we, that we work with, but every one of them, you know, the CEO of that company's out here and like sitting down and we're talking about, yeah, what if this, what if that, how can we build it together? And, and, and like a year after the partnership was inked, it was, it's not just the, Hey, the contract signed and like, oh, it's renewal, we'll come back in. Right. Like that's not the part, that's not the relationship we have, um, with, with, you know, most of our companies that we work with. So anyway, to, to your question is the big tech, they, they partner and they, they compete and, you know, at all the same time. And it's, it's a very complex matrix world. And that's where I think healthcare is going. It, it, it's not going to be so simplistic. And then I get to somebody's like, oh my God, Amazon's taking us. Well, yeah, sure. They'll do this. And then we'll partner with them on that. You know, it, it's just, right. We just need to expand our mind because that's as doctors in healthcare, it's always been like, oh no, tenants coming in or ACA's got whatever it is. I mean, the, the other hospital down the block, and it's very easy to be like us, them. We don't partner. Why would you partner? You try to do the same, all same services, right? We're not used to it necessarily in healthcare to be like, wait, we compete with this segment or this market. We partner on something else. So getting people to kind of just get their head around that healthcare, even though that might be super simple and, you know, 10, so 10 years ago for, for big tech, it's something new in healthcare. So um, now I and I look at all those. I what it does though, and I think Alan, you you mentioned you didn't say the term, but you alluded to, which is burning platform, right? Is what I love when those things hit the news and people start publishing left and right. It makes my job so much easier, right? Because it's just like, hey, Amazon's coming in. We gotta go. Like we gotta offer something. Blah blah blah. Right? I'm not really worried about Amazon. Per se, but you know, but it, but it, it sure helps me create a, create a burning platform. I'm not saying there isn't one, by the way, not saying there isn't one, hundred percent believe there is one, but it's, it, it ramps up the heat. It, it kind of reminds, so just a great point about like, you can be partners in some markets and maybe, um, healthy competitors in other markets. Kind of reminds me how like, you know, like Amazon with prime video, prime video competes with Netflix. Netflix, I'm pretty sure, is still being hosted on AWS. That's right. So when Netflix makes money, AWS is making money. Uh, that's it. And that's yeah. it. And that's what I'm like. I mean, I'm always just, where's the win-win wins? Right? Where does where does the payer win? Where does the provider win? Where does the win? And where does the consumer, you know, slash member slash patient win? Right? There's, I'm sure there's more wins than that, but that's at least it has to click those three. In many ways, too, it's kind of like if you stay consumer-focused and don't spend too much time like watching the competition, copying them. You'll probably That's end up in a better direction, anyways. Yeah, and it's it's and it, but it is it is neat. I mean, I gotta give these credit to these companies. Like you know, Maven. I look at Maven for example because it's just top of mind. I'm meeting with my women's health chair about like menopause and what are we doing around that. From a you know, so like 
brilliant companies, brilliant things that they've done. I appreciate them because they spur my mind to be like, oh man, we should be thinking about that and what we're doing there, right? So like a lot of it's inspirational for me too. Not to say I can't work with them directly too, but you know, we do have a program around menopause, let's say, or other programs around autoimmunity and what have you. And I think a lot of these companies sometimes will. So I appreciate just saying, hey, you know, conceptually getting there. And then, and it helps me also like go to those chairs that may not have thought about that, may think that that's not possible. I say, well, there's a whole company, you know, that's been doing this at scale well with good outcomes, you know, are you sure it's not possible? So yeah, I get a lot of benefit out of it. It's such a great way to spark a discussion is just, right. you know, look what's out there. That's so awesome. Last question that I have is today there is an explosion of patient-facing innovations, everything from remote patient monitoring to chatbots to digital care journeys. I'm curious, if you had to pick one, what are you most excited about today? Man, yeah, I'm, I'm a, I got a problem with that one because I'm such a boil the ocean person. It's hard, like focus and focus, right? You're like, you sound like my dad or you sound like, Nick Reddy would always be like, she's draw your box, man, draw your box. Like, <laughs> and I always struggle with that. Gosh, what am I excited about? You know, it's not going to be a great answer because it's like the obvious answer. And it's data. It's data interoperability. That's, that's it. The future is data in healthcare. And, but it's not just obviously data for data's sake, but the interoperability play there. Like we are so immature, right? Yeah. There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of people that don't want interoperability that are very powerful, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And uh, we we have to, people need it to happen. It's the right thing to do. So I, I'm most excited about data interoperability. I'm not the smartest at that role, by the way, in any way, but I'm just most excited about it. Yeah. It's not, it's not the sexy answer, but uh, it's the necessary one. I think that's. And actually, I guess some people would find that the sexy answer. Uh, Yeah, yeah, Richard Clark, Richard Clark, my chief analytics officer at IMARC would probably be like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, that's great. And so uh, she's just being mindful of your time. Let's flip over to what we call the fast five lightning round. So again, five questions to get to know you better. First question we have, what is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? Yeah, you know, I got it, man. I got it. I have it ready. Is it sitting here? And this is my wife got this for me for my birthday. It's the Count of Monte Cristo. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's a like one of the original. Like it's not first edition, but it's early edition. So I mean, it even smells good, you know, right? So, <laughs> um, so that is that is that is my book. I think one of the things that uh, in life I've always tried to tell my kids because you know I don't know you know a lot a lot of stories behind it, but it's grit. Right. Like I, I think the that's if you said what's the one thing that you one trait that you just find to be most boring, be grit. And uh, you know, that book is such Very a good. great example of I don't know what I would do, um, you know, in his situation, but I would hope that I mean not that I would all the revenge was not trying to kill people boys in, okay, but man, the grit, you know, the person I mean he went through it and, and so I think the journey that he went through, it's like it's easy to do a podcast and talk about all the wins and all the great things, but we all went through really rough periods. We all, and we, you know, and it's, it, and so just to talk about the reality of what he, what he went through with that, just, I don't know, it resonates. Yeah, that's awesome. Question two, who is a person either dead or alive you'd love to meet? Yeah, no, and so I uh, appreciate that. I, um, man, it's such a weak answer because like, 
I don't know. I just the I'll give you like a silly answer to it. Not even a silly, but like an answer to it. And maybe this sounds like pompous, and I hate. I'm sorry if it does to everybody on the podcast listening. But man, everybody has story. I love stories. I mean, if I go to a restaurant, if I go to a bar, if I go to and I just talk to somebody, I'm just like such amazing stories that people people have gone through that you would never know. And I just like talking to people and just understanding, learning. Like I don't have this like. I don't have the celebrity crushes. I don't have like, oh my God, there's this one person that I'm like, really want to know. I don't want to be my heroes. I, they're flawed. Yeah. Okay. Like we're really flawed as people sometimes. Uh, right. So I don't have anything per se, but you know, if I had to say, and somebody that I really admire is Teddy Roosevelt. And yeah. you know, that's probably who I've deep dived the most as far as, you know, just with his life, his life was fascinating. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say him. Very cool. Question three, would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? Oh, man. Uh, so that's a tough one. You're, you're speaking to the first grade running champion. Uh, so I, I think that uh, that was checked off, man, super speed. So, uh, did, did you race them recently or, or did you win? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like I like the basketball. The you know Will Ferrell won the ball. That's me, man. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That's a great question. Uh, I should do that. Uh, I have a I have a pre K. She's two years from now. I'll I'll, I'll go race her. You get the ribbon. Um, I don't know, man. I'll go super strength just because yesterday my 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 five year old did the Louisa. Um, you know she had all her stuffed animals from Encanto. So I'll just I'll 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 do that. That's great. Question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Yeah, two things. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot. The obvious answer is always like facts, probably. Like we use facts for everything. As I'm sure everybody gives that answer, so I'll do that one. So what I'll say is this. When I started at Baylor's Gone White, and I'm not like, oh, this is probably a bad story for Baylor. Like, Baylor, don't say that. But when I started my practice, I will like transport my colonoscopes in my trunk of my car. <laughs> you know, like I'm going to this place and I'm like, that's not cleanly. You like need like, oh, no. like, We don't do that anymore. Nobody does that. But I'm like, <laughs> what? I'm driving? Like that, my, that, that's called a mobile health. And <laughs> so you're like, dude, am I supposed to be driving this around <laughs> my trunk of my and, car? Uh, so wow. I think that's insane. The second story I'll give you, and I was looking trying to find it, couldn't find it. And this is like health tech nerds, right? I think they do a fab. I love that. I love the you know, oh, their channel. I'm on their Slack channel. And I, get, I learned so much from that. If you don't know about health tech nerds, great place. Kevin Ryan, I, I, you know, does that. So shout out to them. But uh, it was like a year and a half ago, one of their weekly, you know, kind of things was, it was like a heart failure clinic. And they were looking at data and they found that just this one, I don't think she was a nurse. Uh, she may have been a nurse or she may have been just a medical assistant called everybody, developed a relationship, developed trust with those heart failure patients and would follow up with them almost like daily for a month as a pilot, okay? How are you, Mr. Thomas? What's going on? What do you need, blah, blah, blah. And I think like he reduced the readmissions or like an improved outcomes like by 30%. Wow. Like more than any digital health vendor out there, more than anything technology could do because, and, and, and just, the point is, and I always tell all my team, everybody around me is, I'm scaling trust is what I'm trying to do with technology. I'm not using technology just for technology's sake or because I think it's going to replace anybody. But you can't scale synchronous care. You can't scale one person or Definitely. trust that you have with your care team 
So how does technology build around that trust and scale that to be 24-7 always on? That's what we need to be. We need to be always on for our patients, our consumers, our people. But we can't do that with humans and individuals, especially with happening with staffing shortages in the workplace. Burnout, right? So anyway, so I thought that was profound, profound. And I always think about that as okay. to like, that's what's going to reduce the outcomes is that trusted relationship and building those relationships, but how to do technology the right way to scale that. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Nurse, it sounds like, right? <laughs> yeah, dang it. Funny. Just cloning. <laughs> oh, just yeah, cloning. Cloning. Nurse, oh, yeah. Sure. Maybe that's the technology I'm most excited about, and we're going to clone people. Yeah, that's great. And another podcast, you said you want to build Netflix, not make the blockbuster lines faster. It's thinking about it from a different lens. How do we scale trust? I've never heard that before, but then it makes so much sense. I love that. The last question that we have is if you could travel back in time to any event or moment, what would it be and why? Yeah, so... Leadership nerd, obviously Teddy Roosevelt. I just, I, I think it's, um, it's something that I just uh, really enjoy. So, um, I would, um, I would say that a leader that I really respect and I love to just be next to is, you know, one that everybody knows, Abraham Lincoln. But uh, I'll throw another book, my second favorite book, Team of Rivals. Uh, you know, read it, and you know, it just talks about, man, this guy, like, it, it didn't matter, and he brought all the people that were running up against, running You're against great. him as president. And he's like, oh, you're going to be on my cabinet now. And you're like, you hate me. You love me. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to, you're, you're, you would backstab me in a sad game, whatever it may be. And he, I mean, at the end of his, right, at end of his time as, as, as president and throughout his time, uh, they were his biggest advocates. And, yeah, and, and just, at, I think as leaders, um, you know, a lot of this is leadership. A lot of this is, as, is leading through what's happening in healthcare and getting people on board. And, and I think to, and of course, I mean, in the backdrop of the Civil War and slavery, I mean, right? Like, I mean, all that happening in the backdrop of that, I think that'd be a fascinating type to, to learn from. For sure. That's awesome. By the way, I, I was surprised. I thought you'd say you want to travel back to your first uh, EHR go live and, and relive it all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with those days, man. I'm done with those days. Um, no, I mean, listen, I, I, I still think there's a lot of, uh, I mean, again, I, I want, um, you know, we, we got to do better. We got to do better from that, Josh. So we got to do better with the HR. Got to gotta be in every other industry, right? Like you don't look at technology and say, oh, it's a burden. Yeah, sure. Every, anything. You do like, oh, yeah, that automates this and that like improves my life. And that and consumers, right? Going back to consumerism, like you look at technology, you know, like, oh, my God, that solves a thousand things that I used to do. I had to do that manually. But doctors, yeah. some of them, many of them would be like, Give me paper charts again. I'll go. That's crazy. It's crazy that you would say technology slows me down. That manual charting, you know, you know it's not the right thing because nobody can read it and like the labs aren't shared and whatever. So I'm not saying anybody's trying to go back there. But doctors would tell you, right? And if that that we're living in the manual days, I would I saw I saw thirty percent more patients. Yeah. When I had manual charts. It's like, it's like me saying, hey, Hashish, I'm not going to text you anymore. I'm going to go back to writing letters to you. I'm going to write you letters. <laughs> and you'd be like, cool, that's faster than this. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's crazy. But that's what it is. You know? And so we got to do better. We got to uh, just fundamentally, we got to take it back down. I want to burn it all down. And uh, <laughs> just rebuild it. <laughs> rebuild it the right way. You know, and, and and be truly seen like what cell phones were when they first came out for doctors removing pagers and, and phone booths. That's what technology should do, right? The iPhone 
obviated like 50 different tech things you didn't need anymore from a calculator to a flashlight to a, you know like stuff that you would be like wait camera not anymore because of an iphone right so that's yeah. it, it, we got to get there well that's awesome i think that's a it's a great note to end on it kind of summarizes your optimism for the future of the right technology in healthcare and how it can really lead to this paradigm shift of how we're using technology in a way that's actually helpful and not to the detriment of our, our time and, and effort. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Ashish. For folks listening, you can find Ashish on Twitter. I believe it's at hash to hash. That's the number two in the middle. <laughs> uh, and that's a wrap for this episode of The Digital Patient hosted by CMSMD. You can follow us on Twitter at CMSMD. And if you like the podcast and you want to learn more, you can visit www.seamless.md. Ashish, again, thank you so much for spending your time with us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys.